Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, hello, and welcome to FaithBridge. If we don't already know each other, my name is Wayne Risher, and I'm the campus pastor for FaithBridge in the Woodlands. So glad to have you with us today. Before we jump into the last message of the year, I just wanted to tell you thank you, really a heartfelt thanks, for being such a sending church. Our new campus in the Woodlands is turning 11 months old this month, and I'd invite you to come and check out what is happening up there, uh, what God is doing in and through Faith Bridgers in the Woodlands. So likewise, here at the Klein campus, I don't get to be with you every week, so it's good to see you and be here. So if you're in Center Court East or Center Court West, just saying a special welcome to you. Glad to have you with us today. And of course, if you're in the Woodlands, it's good to be with you as I always am on Sunday. And if you're joining us online right now, I'll say welcome to you as well. Uh, I love the fact that we're one church on one mission connected together each week by one message. I love that about Faith Bridge. Well, let me bring you along in our story. We're at the end of a four-part sermon series uh, entitled, O Come, Let Us Adore Him, and we're going to pick up today in the book of Matthew. We're going to work through a section of Scripture pretty well, so if you'd like to have a Bible to follow along, I'd recommend it. In fact, in all of our rooms, let me call our ushers forward, and if you'd like to have a Bible to follow along, you can just raise your hand. They'll be happy to pass one to you, and you can track along with us there. If you have the FaithBridge app on your smartphone, a Bible reader, you can look there and follow along. And in fact, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to have that one, you're welcome to take it home as our gift. Just carry it out with you. We give away hundreds of Bibles a year around here and love for you to have one as well. Okay. You can mark your spot there in Matthew chapter 2, and uh, we'll jump in in just a minute. But before we do, why don't we ask God to come and be our teacher today? Lord, thank you for the time we have to gather together as a church. Thank you for this Advent season we're working our way through right now and wrapping up today. But Lord, your story doesn't end here. Um, Your story continues on all the way to the fact that you died on the cross um, for our sins. We thank you for sending your son that you loved us so much to do that. And now as we look at your word, won't you teach us and lead us today by your spirit? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll start off by asking a quick question. How many of you, by a show of hands, have already got your Christmas decorations put away? A few of you? A few hardcore decorators have already got it cleared away. Well, time is moving quickly at my house because it seems like Thanksgiving was just a few days ago and we were actually setting our decorations up. Well, you know how that is. You you put your decorations together and your house kind of has a a new little glitzy look about it, the sparkle and wonder of Christmas is showing up all over the place. And I can recall Tammy and I um, setting our Christmas things up and looking there at the manger scene on the end table, I sort of had a little nostalgic moment. Our kids are all grown now, um, but I was remembering when they were little, and uh, I was looking at that manger scene, I was remembering how much they loved to pretend play manger. They would fight for hours over who would set up all the manger characters in just the right spot, and they would practice retelling the story, not always in the right order, not always with all the right details, but they were doing it anyway. 
I know Lindsay, my little one, she loved to be the angel. It had to go just at the very peak of the little wooden roof on our manger scene. And if it wasn't right there, she would just have a freak out. And the other two sisters, they would pretend sometimes uh, focusing on the baby Jesus in the middle. And uh, sometimes they loved to pretend and be Mother Mary. And they would go over to their room where we had a box of dress-ups, and they would get out scarves and wraps and these little plastic high heel shoes that little girls love to wear. Uh, probably not the kind of shoes Mary was wearing on a dusty road while she was looking for room at the end, but the kind of shoes that my daughters thought Mary ought to wear if they were her. So anyway, they would pretend Mary, and my, my son Zachary was a little boy who loved his blankie, and they would always chase him around the house and try to swaddle him up in his blankie and make him be baby Jesus, and he would just hate that. He would resist it as much as he could. But anyway, as I was looking at the manger scene and all those scenes were sort of flashing through my mind, I was really thinking, you know, God didn't record any of those characters in the manger scene or in our scripture by accident. The Holy Spirit's placed those characters in our scripture for a reason. He wants to teach us something from their lives even today. And as I study the wise men in Matthew chapter 2, they came quickly in verse 1 and they departed quickly in verse 12. But we see through their story, I think today we're going to be looking for three life lessons or three observations from the wise men. So if you'll go ahead and look along with me as they follow their journey looking for the Christ child, let's turn in our Bibles or our Bible readers to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 16, and then we'll jump in and see what we've got there. Follow along with me. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, in Ju uh, during the time King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard about this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, one who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them on to Bethlehem and he said, go and carefully search for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. Then the scripture says they saw the star uh, in verse 9, and they had heard the king, and they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to King Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape into Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so when he got up, he took the child and his mother uh, through the night and they left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of King Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. 
And he gave orders to kill all of the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity that were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Well, before we consider our three lessons from the Magi's experience in Scripture, we probably ought to consider who these Magi were. You see, the wise men were learned men, men of great resources, coming from the Orient, coming from the East. They had uh, skills and practices uh, in the uh, natural sciences, in medicine, uh, philosophy, and astrology. That is, they studied the movement of the stars. Sort of the same thing we do today when we open up the newspaper and read the zodiac signs. They were tracking the stars. Well, one day they noticed something different happening in the heavens. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. If they were astrology guys, they were tracking back and forth the same motion of the same stars day in, day out. Sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset. And then all of a sudden, one day, boom, a new star appears they've never seen before. This is like a heavenly outrage. This is a situation. They were all talking. They were all murmuring about this. What is this going on? They were diligently trying to find out what was going on. They wanted to know what it meant astrologically. But God had different plans. Even though the Magi were not Jews and particularly religious, God in his great plan used a silly superstition like astrology to guide the wise men to truth. Well, in fact, we know it guide him they did because the scripture says that they sought the one born king of the Jews and our scripture tells us they came asking, where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star and have come to worship him. And I think that's the first lesson we learn from the wise men today, that they were seekers. Number one, they sought the Christ. They were looking for him. Well, I want us to consider what that seeking actually looked like. Think about it. The wise men were traveling quite a distance. In fact, scholars tell us they may have traveled as many as 1,000 miles moving that way. And they weren't traveling by Google Earth. They didn't have their smartphone, their Android, their Apple, Google Maps. In fact, if you're old enough to know what it means, they didn't even have a key map. Do you remember what those are? They'll open up the book and look at all the maps. Yeah, they didn't have any of that. In fact, they were learned men traveling with the uh, highest technology at the day, and they were following the original GPS signal that God put in the heavens. They were tracking with the stars. Well, navigation and geography weren't their only challenges along the way, I assure you. I can remember not far ago when we um, went on a conference with our family, took them down to Florida, and tacked on a few weeks of family vacation. We drove across to Disney, uh, up to Canada, around, back down through the middle of the United States, about 5,000 miles with my family of six. Do you have any idea how many tanks of gasoline we consumed? how many roadside rest stops we made, and how many food items we consumed. Well, I can tell you how many resources that took because I have scars in my wallet still along the way. It was incredible resources for just a couple of weeks for a family of six. Imagine these wise men traveling a 1,000 miles or more. Now, they didn't travel alone. They traveled, uh, scholars believe, maybe with hundreds of people in their entourage. They were bringing resources with them along the way. And, you know, we're sort of the same way, um, challenged by uh, navigation, like the wise men, challenged by the costs and resources. But I wonder myself, that's a lot of hassle for the journey. Why did they do it? Why did they spend all those resources and all that hassle and time to come and seek the newborn baby? Well, I'll tell you why. They did it for the same reason you and I and everybody who's ever lived seek truth. 
We're looking for something that gives us significance and meaning and hope. And we want to know what's going on, and God wants us to find it. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 13 basically says, Seek the Lord with all your heart, and you'll find him. God's not playing hide and seek with us, friends. He wants us to find him. In fact, that's an important thing. That's, a, that's the gospel message, is he's revealed himself everywhere. We take a lesson from the wise men and pursue a relationship with God, we'll find him. And then you wonder, well, okay, how do I find uh, him? Well, we find him through prayer, through his word, and we find him through community with other believers who can encourage you to grow in your faith. So we find that wise men today, the first thing, wise men and wise women today, they still seek him. They're seekers. We see the second lesson from the wise men today comes from what the wise men did when they actually found him. The scripture tells us that the wise men worshipped him. The second thing we learn is the wise men worshipped him. So wait a minute. You mean these wise men traveling maybe more than a year with maybe hundreds of people over a thousand miles actually found this baby boy uh, by the stars? Oh, yes, yes. They find him. They did. In fact, the scripture says when they did find him, they bowed down and worshipped him. Well, I want to make sure you don't miss that, uh, what they actually did. The scripture tells us they actually bowed down and they worshiped him. Well, you know what that means, don't you? When you bow down and you worship something, you kneel down, you basically are humbling yourself, and yet you're elevating that thing. They were actually elevating God ahead of them, saying, you're number one in our lives. Not us, but you. You're the king. You're the one worthy of worship. And so we bow down before you, and we give that to you. Well, not only did they bow down to him and worship him in their posture, But the scripture tells us they also bowed down and did something else to indicate worship. They gave him three gifts. They gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was a response to the relationship that they sought with him. They were actually pursuing him in a way by uh, worshiping him, giving him the very best that they had, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We still do the same sort of thing today. In fact, I'll illustrate through my own life. Uh, When I was in my early to mid-20s, I wanted to marry Tammy. I wanted to ask her to be my bride. I wanted to ascribe worth and value to her above all others. I wanted her to know I loved her and I was pursuing her. I sought a relationship with her. And I wanted her to know at all costs I was willing to do whatever it was necessary so she knew, as Adam taught us in the first week, I would ascribe worth to her, worth-ship. In fact, I would go out and I would do the same thing the wise men did. I would get a gift for her that I absolutely couldn't afford at the time. Somehow I elevated that all the way up into my priority list, but I went out and bought her an engagement ring, a diamond, which was the symbol of what many men in our culture do today even. We provide that as our gift to pledge our love and worth, and I was so nervous. Had her parents involved in the situation. Everybody was excited, but it was costly. I was risking everything. What if she said no? What if she said, it's it's not you, it's me, right? (laughs) What if she said, I'm not ready yet. Let's revisit this in maybe six months. What if she just flat out said no and I was completely embarrassed? Well, I don't know. I just risked it all. I bought the ring. I carried it out. We went to a fancy restaurant in Houston. And one night, the waiters after dinner, they brought out this fancy silver platter. And the man lifted the dome lid off. And there was a box for dessert. And I did just what the wise men did. I got down before her. 
I kneeled in front of her like the wise men did, sort of in a way worshiping her, letting her know I was placing her as the number one woman in my life. And I said, well, honey, I love you, and I'm asking you to marry me. And I presented her a diamond engagement ring. Well, thankfully to all the people who are watching around us at the restaurant, they all sighed, collective relief when she said yes. And uh, to much applause around the room, it was a very exciting moment. 25 years ago this month, and four kids later, Tammy said yes to being my bride, and I'm telling you, we're still pursuing a relationship together today. We don't have it all figured out, but we're pursuing each other in a way to work through that and get it right. And when we worship Jesus, we do the same thing. We bow down and ascribe value to him, and we give him the most valuable thing we have. Well, what's that? We don't have much gold, frankincense, and myrrh laying around anymore. Well, Jesus being our Savior doesn't want gold, frankincense, and myrrh, friends. He wants the most valuable thing we have. And as a Savior, do you know what that is? It's our hearts. Jesus wants our hearts. I remember when I gave my heart to Jesus, I was just in sixth grade. My Sunday school teacher asked us to say a little prayer. I bowed my head and I said that, and that began a lifelong journey of my relationship and surrendering my heart to Jesus. Well, I'll tell you, over the years I've grown in my faith and realized I can't do all this alone and I've got some problems I've got to work through here and the Lord needs to change me and teach me and mature. And I realized I need a Savior very, very much. And I traded my heart and actually I got the best end of the deal because Jesus got my heart, but I got him. And I've never been the same. Still changing. So the second thing we see today is wise men and wise women worship him. We seek him and we worship him. But there's a third thing we should look at too. I think the third thing we see with the wise men is they were changed by their encounter with the Christ child. You see, you encounter Jesus and you go away completely changed. Change is the evidence that you sought him, you worshiped him, and you go away completely different. Our text tells us that the wise men went home by a different route. Well, believe me, friends, navigation in terms, leaving in a different route or leaving in a different way can mean so much more than just navigation. When we meet Christ, our hearts are changed and we go away completely different. Let's go back to the beginning when I told you about the Magi and the wise men coming from the east, right? They would have been savvy enough, learned men in their day. They wouldn't have rolled into another king's territory without, first of all, letting them know, hey, we're here. I've got this entourage of a hundred and some people with me. We've been traveling all this way. Uh, we're no threat. Here's what our objective is. We know that conversation took place because he said, well, when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can worship him too. Well, something happened when they had an encounter with Christ because they weren't interested in going back the way of Herod anymore. They weren't interested in what King Herod had to say. In fact, uh, they risk it all, and it's costly. They went back a different way, even against Herod's request to come back and tell me where he was. They didn't go back to the palace for a fancy dinner. They weren't interested in what King Herod's opinion was about this Christ child and the star. They didn't even go back and collect a reward. Here's the address. Go find him yourself, and we'll see you later. We're heading out of here. No. They went away a different route, disobeying the king's order, uh, always, in, in fact, seeking uh, him. Well, I was changed like the wise men in the sixth grade, and I'm still changing. After 25 years of marriage, I can tell you there are no self-help books out there to help you be a better dad and a better husband. I've read many, and I can tell you I needed the blood of Jesus Christ to help me close the gap and change me. I'm still changing. 
But I have found out, though, that the older I get, change is coming a little more difficult these days. Some old habits and hang-ups that can be really hard to break and get out of cycles. And you know what I've discovered, though, as I mature and grow in Christ and seek him and place him in the center of my life, I find out that the change he brings is really good. It's really worth it. If Tammy were standing here with me now, she would say, I'm glad my husband found Jesus and Jesus is changing him. In fact, she's probably prayed before, oh, God, change my crazy husband. He needs all the help he can get. But I'm still changing. I'm still seeking. And the change is the evidence that we're growing spiritually in a way that we can start to put sin away. And I'm wondering if you're experiencing that kind of change in spiritual maturity in your lives. I'm wondering if you're in 2016 going to focus on seeking him as the wise men did and worshiping him, placing him in the center of your life and giving him the most valuable thing that you have, and that's your heart. Wise men and wise women still seek him today. And we find his grace and his love that we trust in him. We go away completely different. And that's what I want for us today. You know, when I go home and I start to put away my Christmas decorations, and uh, all the family is gone, and the presents are away, and I look over at the manger scene before packing it up and see those wise men figures there, sure, I, I still get a little nostalgic thinking about the kids and sticky little fingers that pretended for hours. But this year, I'm going away remembering the three lessons that the wise men are teaching me, and that is for 2016, I want to seek him. And when I find him, I want to worship him and place him in the center of my life, And then I want to let him change me in a way that God wants to do. And um, I think that's uh, my prayer for all of us today is that we'll do the same thing and learn the lesson from the wise men all the way from Matthew to today. Why don't we pray together? Lord, thank you for the chance to gather here at Faith Bridge today. And thank you for sending your son Jesus. Lord, some of us here have sought you over the years like the wise men did and were being challenged by change. Hard for us to really truly worship you because we've got some things that are hanging on to us, things we're hanging on to. Right now, won't you by your spirit reveal to us the one or two things that are most entangling us? God already knows what it is for you. Why don't you call out to him? Why don't you just tell him now, Lord, you know, this or that. It's a real struggle for me. Say, Lord, help me deal with that. I want to seek you and put you in the center of my life. Help change me so I don't want to be part of this anymore. And Lord, for others who are just seeking you like the wise men for the very first time, I pray this would be the day, Lord, they would find saving faith and trust in your son, life that comes from that. And uh, Lord, I pray even now that we surrender the things to you that we need to. Help us make our 2016, Lord, a year that brings glory to you. Help us give you the thing that you want the most from us. That's all of our hearts. Lord, thank you for this church, what it means to me and so many. Lord, won't you hold us tight in your hands even as we move into this new year. We ask it all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. 
Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Well, hello and welcome to Postscript. My name is Adam McIntyre and I am here with Wayne Risher, who just delivered an incredible sermon on Thank the you. wise men. Thank you so much for being here with Thank us. Thank you. Uh, the story of the wise men is one of those stories that uh, there's so much, more, so much to it. In fact, it's, it's probably uh, so much that it's impossible to cover in 25 minutes. And so um, there are a lot of questions about specifically things like, um, were the wise men actually at the manger scene? Right. Or um, what did the gifts mean? Like, what were the significance of the gifts? Can you elaborate on the oh, Wiseman oh, story? Yeah. Good, good questions. Well, first of all, let me just say that I think a lot of people do ask about the wise men and if they were at the manger scene because there is historical evidence, right? In Scripture, it even says when Jesus, uh, when the wise men showed up, they didn't say it was at a manger. Right. Uh, they said it came to a house mm -hmm. and it was a child then. And we know that Herod also was looking for children who were two years and younger. So we know their journey, if it took about a thousand miles or more and maybe a year or more, uh, we know they showed up after the birth of Jesus. Right. So from a timing perspective, you know, should I have my wise men at the manger scene? Is that biblically accurate representation? Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely, because they were definitely part of the Christ story. Mm -hmm. But their timing was actually after the manger okay. um, as they rolled in a little bit later to the story. Okay. Uh, God was calling them even later. And uh, I love that because, you know, Mary and Joseph had to be thinking when all these wise men rolled up uh, and their camels and their entourage, they had to be thinking, wow, you know, there's some government officials passing through the land. And I'm sure they stood there just kind of with their mouths opening, wondering, I wonder who these people are. Imagine what happened when they uh, realized they're rolling up to our house. Right. And they're thinking, like, are we in trouble? You know, is this the IRS coming to garnish our wages? Right. You know, is there some problem here? And they realized, no, these men are here for the baby. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Mary and Joseph were just like, this is still happening to right. us. Like what happened to us in the manger, this story is still going on. And now what we heard and treasured in our hearts is being confirmed even by the arrival of the wise men later. Right. I'm sure that was a special, a special moment. Um, you, you ask Adam about the gifts. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll just admit my ignorance for a minute and say that I often thought, oh sure, we give gifts at Christmas time because the wise men brought gifts, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, oh, no, no, not, not because of the wise men, but because God gave His Son. That's the reason we give right. gifts, right? Yeah, so you wonder, oh, how did this tradition all start? Well, the gifts, though, while I mentioned in the message that they actually bowed down and they worshipped, uh, not only with their posture, um, certainly with their hearts, but also by giving the best that they had, which right. were the gifts. Well, the gifts themselves were not actually, you know, God doesn't call us to give Him gifts. Mm -hmm. He does call us to give Him His heart. Uh, our heart. So we, we do that in response to a relationship with Him. But the gifts, what was actually going on there is very significant and unique. Um, the gifts actually represent three roles that Christ will play. Uh, the first one, they gave gold, which is a gift fit for a king. And so they were affirming His kingship and lordship. And uh, as the temple was filled with gold, right, uh, that the kings were in, and certainly the temple of the Lord, right? The second gift that they gave was the frankincense, which was a gift that um, uh, often the priests would use in the temple. Uh, it was an incense, a fragrant incense. So uh, they were really foretelling that God would be our high priest, that Jesus would be the one to connect us to God. And the third gift they gave was the myrrh, which you know when they embalm a body they would 
put a little uh, fragrant oil on it so that it would smell pretty. Right. And so they got myrrh, mm -hmm. uh, which would represent that Jesus, the Savior of the world, would die for our sins. Mm -hmm. So in bringing the gifts, the wise men were not only worshiping, but they were actually affirming who Christ was as right. our high priest, our Savior, and as our King and Lord. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the thing I love about the wise men, you know, because they're teaching so much in what's happening there. Uh, and so then, you know, as that whole thing happens and transpires, um, uh, speaking of the gifts and sort of where they end up in the story, you think, well, in verse 12, the wise men just sort of take off. Right. And uh, we don't hear from them again. Um, well, though their, their contribution actually contributes um, to the end of the story or to help the story continue on because uh, at the end of the passage there I read that Herod was upset. He found out the Magi had left and they didn't come back and report to him where the Christ child was. So they were, they were upset. He, he was upset. And um, the Lord told Joseph in a dream to take Mary and the baby and to flee to Egypt. Well, in their fleeing, you know, I wonder how did that happen? Right. It wasn't like uh, he just cashed in his 401k sure, yeah. and uh, said, hey, I got to go to get out of Dodge. I got to go in some other place and uh, I need some cash to do it. And it wasn't like he just rolled into Egypt and said, hey, you know, I'm a carpenter. Can you put me to work tomorrow? You know, right. but if you use your sanctified imagination a little bit, you realize the hand of God is all through the story. Mm -hmm. And he's even providing for Mary and Joseph and Jesus in their journey to Egypt because they had just been given three gifts of great value right. that they were able to trade in for the capital necessary to not only make that journey, but to stay in Egypt, according to the scripture, until King Herod was dead. Right. And so that didn't come by accident. That was actually the hand of God providing. And you know, Mary and Joseph were thinking, whoa, you know, what are we going to do? God right. just told you in a dream to leave. And Joseph's wondering, well, you know, as the dad of this family, I guess we've got the gold frankincense and myrrh. You think we should sell that? Well, sure, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's an amazing thing. So <clears throat> kind of at the end, wrapping all that up, uh, I think the rhythm that the wise men teach us, I mentioned the manger scene that right. my kids loved when they were kids. Um, I think the rhythm that the wise men teach us, um, I, I think it's good for me anyway to go ahead and keep my wise men in my manger scene. Absolutely. Because when I look at that picture, I see the birth of Christ, and I see even how the wise men came later, mm -hmm. And it reminds me of the three things, you know, the seeking Him, the worshiping Him, and allowing Him to change us, go away in a different way, right. uh, as they did. I'm going to leave them in my manger scene. Absolutely. Uh, I think they tell the Christ story in a way that I want to go into my 2016 personally, mm -hmm. um, seeking God in a new way, finding Him in His Word and prayer, um, seeking deeper community with other Christians um, who can encourage me even in my faith. Absolutely. And um, so I think that's where I'm headed in 2016. That's why I hope for Faith yeah. Bridgers too. I hope Absolutely. that they'll follow the wise men's pattern in 2016. Absolutely. Wayne, thank yeah. you so much. Oh, that yes. was incredibly helpful. Thank I love you. the way that you can you can read the, the surface level story, but then as you start to dig deeper, you see all these puzzle pieces start coming together and, and the story just becomes even more three-dimensional and uh, just even more kind of awe-inspiring as, you, right, as right. you look at it. And so thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you all for tuning in. We will see you all next week. Thanks for joining us for PostScript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.